Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and unfortunately, it is not going to be a victorious discussion that we have. There are several things to get to, so let's not delay. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's ready to tell you why the Chiefs' reign is over, and it's all doom and gloom. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? It's over. We had our fun. Just get up now. He's ready to tell you why Patrick Mahomes is broken again. Sam Blecka is here. How are you, man? Trade him. And I am Sean Deegan, and I think the Chiefs should probably just forfeit the rest of this season. Obviously, all this is tongue-in-cheek. The Chiefs did have a tough tough pill to swallow with the loss to the Bills, 24-20. to A tough game that was very much a back-and-forth battle between what I think is still consensus the two best teams in the NFL currently. Let's get a barometer of how we feel, gents, because obviously I'm being cheeky at the top with the overreaction introductions, but I genuinely do want to know, how are we feeling after this loss? It's a four-point loss. Chiefs have the lead with a chance to ice it. They're unable to do so. They then get a chance to go down the field with a minute left with what is is at least considered by us the best quarterback in the NFL, a position they've been in before and we felt really good about. And Mahomes throws an interception. It doesn't get done this time. So how are we feeling? Uh, Sam, will let you bat lead off here. How are we feeling after the Chiefs uh, drop this one to the Bills? I mean, you're <clears> – <throat> excuse me. A little froggy. You got, the, you got the sinuses of the weather change going on. So my normal vocal prowess may not be a little less today. Um <clears throat> No, you're never super happy about a loss, obviously. You, you want to win every game. But with, with – I mean, I was willing a win last week in my prediction with an obvious I wanted to go against you guys. But I think we were all kind of in the same boat where – I think we actually thought it may have been a bit worse of a beating than we actually took, potentially. So I, I, I'm not super upset with it. There's definitely areas that – you can see where our team is weak and what the bills have done to build a team to beat the chiefs has worked very well. So uh, in a game where I don't think it was Patrick Mahomes best day, um, we're missing multiple pieces on the defense and we're still in position to win the game at the end of the game. I don't think you can walk away feeling too terribly bad. The other thing you take away from it is yes, Josh Allen is a very good quarterback. And it's going to be a constant battle every time we go up against these guys. It doesn't matter what what the layout is, just because you have two once in generation type players playing against each other. So, Jacob, how about you? How, what's your your general feeling after the Chiefs drop this one, twenty four twenty to the Bills? How are we feeling about this squad? I felt like I haven't felt in many years. I don't know if anybody remembers this, and there it's it's gonna go back in Chiefs fandom. But if you were with us in, uh, I think it's 2012 when the Packers and the Chiefs were playing, and the Packers were undefeated, and the Chiefs were miserable. I believe in the Kyle Orton phase of things. Was I had absolutely no hope. For the Chiefs in that, so this is not the same. But I also I was ready for the Chiefs to lose, and so because of that, I felt similar. I didn't get too emotional about it at all. But then when they were about to pull it off, it's like, is this really going to happen? 
So that was where my brain was at on it. So I, like I said, I wasn't too worked up about it. And I was, you know, pretty encouraged overall. I, I'm with you guys. I, I think I'm even leaning more into the encouraged side of things. I typically make my predictions when we do our, our, our final score and bold predictions at the end of each show based off of what I think will happen if both teams play their game. If they play their best or at least close to it, that's kind of where I think things are going to end up. And I don't think, I'm not sure either team really played their best and they played and, and they lost by four and they lost by four after having had a chance to ice the game up uh, 20 to 17. They couldn't get it done. They have a chance to go down and win the game 24, 20, and they didn't get it done. And those are things that we typically haven't seen the chiefs not be able to do. They haven't typically struggled necessarily going down and getting a final score. It's just, just the, how I describe this is this is Michael Jordan coming back and, and having a turnover at the end of the game in the playoffs to the Orlando Magic. Something you just don't expect to see but has happened. Jordan takes the last shot and it doesn't go in this time. It happens. It's not what's stuck in our mind, but those things happen a lot. I'm actually genuinely encouraged, especially knowing that the the defense is missing a lot of pieces right now, which we're getting at least a couple back uh, this coming week. So that's exciting. But overall, I'm feeling pretty encouraged after what I saw, knowing the, the amount of things that could still be improved upon. We've given a kind of general idea of how we feel. I want to ask you guys a little more specifically, what were your main takeaways from this game? We've all kind of alluded to things that we think could get better, and we'll obviously get more specifics going offense, defense here as we progress through the podcast. But what were your guys' main takeaways from this game? Um, Sam, we'll let you go uh, go again this time. Yeah, I think I probably ran into it a little bit with my general initial take, but I think it was – it may have been Jacob on Twitter. It was one of you two. I can't remember which one said this is what happens when you build a team to beat the Chiefs. You You can beat the Chiefs. But the fact that, again, you almost didn't beat us and that's all you did was design a team to try to beat us, you can't – I mean, again, can't feel too bad about it. Uh, you saw some of the – I think the offense took a step forward, like I said, even on a day where I don't think Pat made some of the best decisions we've ever seen him make. I think you saw Juju come out and show what he can bring to the offense, which is very positive. Uh, and defensively – the fact that you held the what I, I guarantee you the media is now crowning as the best quarterback in the NFL to 24 points when you're starting two rookies missing your best potentially best linebacker like yeah you you're the defense is a lot better than I think it, it's where I thought it was going to be honestly when when we talked about it uh, but yeah there's still glaring issues that we need to tackle which we'll get into but no, I think you you saw what will be two very good teams that we will likely see each other again later on down the year and will hopefully be at full capacity this next go-around. Jing, what about you? What were your main takeaways from this game? Yeah, I mean, as a simple summary, it was offense was a little worse than I thought. The defense was a little better than I thought. You know, just like Sam said with the two rookie cornerbacks that were – 
starting for the Chiefs. I thought they were just going to get roasted all day and it was going to be a shootout. Yeah, I think for me it's that even if the Chiefs aren't on their best game, they can still be in a position to win against the best in the league. And, I, I mean, we all kind of went in last week saying we thought the Bills were the best team in the NFL right now. And I, I don't think they seen anything to dissuade that. And yet the Chiefs were in it. Uh, so I think the, the thing is that they can still, without all their pieces, not playing their best game, which, to be fair, some of that is attributed to the Bills. But as we'll get into, I think there's some things game plan-wise that could have been improved on to put your team in a better place to win. But I think – the depth of this team is something that I think Chiefs fans should get excited about, especially on the defensive side. When you talk about your, your rookies, corners, and the, um, the secondary that's there, I think that you should be excited knowing that the linebacking core is getting Willie Gay Jr. back. And I think you should still know that when Patrick Mahomes had a, what I would consider a bad day for him, still a solid day, a, a good day, I would say, outside of the two interceptions, as a quarterback, it's just he's still in a position to win at the end of the game. So uh, I think you should feel encouraged, and those are kind of where I was at at the end. Last thing before we get into the uh, offense and defense discussions, uh, where we'll dive a little more specifically into what we saw on both sides of the ball, I, we, we have to touch on the return of Harrison Bucker, who in the most resounding and definitive declaration, I'm back, comes back and sets the Chiefs franchise record for longest field goal made at a time where I felt it really shifted the momentum back to the Chiefs coming out, going into the into halftime with a 62-yard field goal. That would, probably would have been good from 70. This question was posed just – it was a, a, a caller, and I wish I remember the caller's name. It was like last week on, on 810. Somebody called in and asked, should we be thinking about kickers in a different way? Should they be making more money than they're making currently? Because they do tend to score the most points in the NFL. I think the, the leading quote-unquote scorer as an individual is a kicker in the NFL. And the name escapes me at this moment, so I'll have to go back and look it up because I wasn't smart enough to write it down. But – Having a weapon like Butker, who granted came in and missed a field goal right after that, but you know coming off of an injury, you, you kind of expect maybe to be some hiccups. But to come in and have a weapon where you're you can be close to midfield and not be out of it, should we be valuing kickers more? Should they be looking at like, hey, if Butker comes when Butker comes up for renegotiation, if you you pay him significantly more than maybe what we would have been comfortable with paying a kicker in the past. Um, Jacob, we'll flip things around this time and let you badly off in this question. Well, we're only about 10 minutes in, and so let me start off by not answering your question and saying, why are the positions that are paid well paid well? It's because of the impact on the game. You know, quarterbacks are top paid because we've all at this point agree that the quarterback's the most important position. Then we have offensive tackles that are paid a lot because they protect the quarterback. We have wide receivers paid a lot because they – have the ability to make big plays. Sam, how about you? Uh, should we be valuing the kicker more than we have maybe previously um, financially and just both what they mean to the game going forward? Probably so, yes. 
what we're seeing again, we talk about these generational players, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, these guys that are doing things that other quarterbacks have never really been able to do or, or do at such an early age or early, early part of their career. Let's talk about kickers. Talk about the two that if you watched the last Ravens game, you saw Justin Tucker do things that kickers don't do. And he's been doing that forever. Like I would argue there may not be a better player at his position in the NFL than Justin Tucker as a kicker, like Patrick Mahomes. No, as a quarterback, but Justin Tucker and Harrison Bucker's not far behind him. So should they probably be paid more? Yes. Will they? I don't think so as of right now, <clears throat> because again, we've, we've had these conversations as a precedence of who gets the money and how it's driven. Again, shouting out Travis Kelsey and, and Jason Kelsey and just continue because they need our support and getting followers on New Heights. But if you haven't listened to New Heights, it is a fantastic podcast. I think they are just excellent, obviously, at, at what they do um, just in, in their format. But they had a segment where they were talking about how centers are paid more than tight ends. Does that make a lot of logical sense? Probably not when, you, when we're comparing it to – Travis Kelsey, but the thing is, not every tight end is Travis Kelsey. Not every kicker is Harrison Bucker or Justin Tucker. So there will be out, there will always be outliers of guys that you're like, you should be paid a lot more, but based off the market value of where kickers are being paid, you're not going to get that money. So I'm not I'm not going to complain if they go out and pay Harrison Bucker a lot because we've seen how valuable of a player he is for the Chiefs and what he does, what he brings to the game, but. Would it surprise me if when his next contract comes out, he gets paid right? He gets paid more than other kickers, but not like setting some new standard. No, it's not going to surprise me. Yeah, to me, I it's it's changed how I feel. Like because initially, it's you know Harrison Bucker has a great leg, but he misses from like forty in is kind of the joke we had early on in his career, and then that kind of has shored up somewhat as time's gone on, and and then it was. Okay, he's pretty consistent, but he misses extra points. And now that's kind of been shored up for the most part. And now he's drilling kicks from 60-plus yards. And even though he came back and missed the second one, that kind of a weapon where you're not really out of range in points, even if you, you struggle to move the ball, if you can get you know to the 45, you're, you still have a chance, which shouldn't happen in the NFL. And let's not forget to reiterate, the second one he missed was still a 50-plus yard field goal. Right. Ten years ago, that's like, oh, my gosh, they're kicking a 50-yard field goal. What are they doing? The commentators literally were joking because they were like, this is a chip shot. And it basically was. He just missed off to the left. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that he probably, because earlier in the game, like the wind was blowing that the the his left to his right, I guess, is the viewpoint it would have been. And it looked like he maybe was anticipating that and it just didn't gust and it just left it the left. That's gonna happen on a 50 plus field goal. It's not like it was a 35 one that he just hooked. I think Butker would be one that like if they if they came back and were like, hey, you know, six to eight million per, what do you guys think? I'd be tempted to be like, God, that's a weapon. 
Like we're talking wide receiver, like a wide receiver two, wide receiver three money, or wide receiver three probably at this point, the way wide receiver contracts have gone. But that's he's a weapon that I don't know that you can replace at this point. And not to be like, I'm just using him because he is that on our team. Who are you keeping, McCall Hardman or Harrison Bucker? I I think that's – so sorry, McCall. I think that's no, – no, like, like I could say that about any third receiver right. at this point on any team with any kicker. I think if you're, if you're looking at that value and you're saying, okay, we have to spend this much money on a kicker that can win us a game anytime or a guy that does something, right? kicker all day. All right, let's get, dive in a little deeper to the offensive side of the ball to start. We'll get to the defense next, but let's start on the offense. And we'll start with just one of the negatives because I think it would be disingenuous to, to just say, like, it was all roses. I know we all said we were kind of encouraged, but there were problems. There were things that need to be fixed or things that maybe there's just going to be a problem going forward, and it's important to, you know, game plan around that. Specifically, what I want to start with is the offensive tackles. I thought Orlando Brown Jr. in this game wasn't terrible when Vaughn Miller was on the other side, which after what he did to Andrew Wiley early on in the game, that was just pretty much what they decided. They're like, oh, well, this is a gimme. We're going to leave Vaughn Miller over here. But it wasn't like Orlando Brown Jr. was was doing work against Vaughn Miller when he had to go up against him. And this has been the discussion kind of all year. It's it's both the tackles are serviceable. Orlando Brown Jr. is a solid, uh, an average to solid left tackle in the NFL. Andrew Wiley is a serviceable to average right tackle probably best suited to be a super sub, right? Where he can play multiple guard positions and can kick out to right tackle when needed. It's probably his best use as an offensive lineman. So for you guys, how would you handle the tackles going forward? How would you best try to help them? Do you think this is just kind of what we should expect for the rest of the season? How are we feeling about this? Sam, we'll start with you. Unfortunately, I think this is, it's what we're going to have to deal with this year. There's, I, I don't see any magic formula fixing this. So it's it's going to have to be a lot of game planning around it. Because, again, most teams do have, if not one, two pass specialists that are very good anymore. So you're going to have to work around it. And and for the most part, I feel like we've done pretty well. Like, it, it's evident. Orlando Brown's probably kicking himself for not taking that contract this year because he is not showing that he is worth the money that he's asking for. But one thing I honestly, I wish I had all 22 because I want to watch the bills route trees because I don't know what I, they do something that always has somebody open. Now, granted we had some rookie corners out there and that put it could have had something, but every pressure we had, and we'll get into the conversation of pressure and like how good Josh Allen is at reading that and feeling the pressure. But there always seemed to be an out. There always seemed to be something he could check down to or go to. And with the Chiefs offense, for some reason, it just doesn't seem like, unless they're planning that with Kelsey, there doesn't seem to be another option as far as an out. It's just all go, 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 and not a, okay, go with all of them except for this guy who's going to be Patrick's kind of fallback on. 
So there's going to have to be some game planning around it. You're going to have to do a lot more probably if you're going up against Vaughn Miller, you're probably going to have to double him or chip him. You're going to have to do something to help give some assistance to the tackles. Cause again, as much as I know Jacob wants Tunsil to be us to trade for Tunsil, I just don't, I don't see that probably being the reality even after restructuring some contracts today and getting a little more wiggle room with money. But uh, so it's just going to have to be a uh, Andy Reed, big brainy did, I guess this year. Jacob, what about you? You, you've probably been the most critical of Wiley to this point. This definitely, if that's the route you're going to go, is giving you plenty of ammo for that. How would you handle the tackles going forward? Watching Andrew Wiley play is like, let's see what's a good comparison. Maybe like you're just starting to learn to walk and you trip on a dog bowl and you fall down gracefully, but the last thing that lands is your head, and it's in the water of the dog food bowl. But also, you had previously put dog food in that water bowl, so now you just smell like dog food. I know that's really oddly specific, but that's what it's like watching Andrew Wiley play right tackle. So again, I ask, how much do you have to give up to trade Orlando Brown for Laramie Tunsil? Then you bench Andrew Wiley, you put Tooney at one of the tackles, assumingly the right tackle, and you let Al Grady play guard. Now, in reality, you bench Andrew Wiley, you put Tooney at the tackle, however you see fit, whether that's the right side or the left side, and you let Al Grady take that guard spot. I am hesitant to move players along the line because of two people who know way more about football than I'll ever hope to know. And that's uh, uh, Mitch, uh, Mitchell Schwartz and then uh, Duke, and I'm going to blank on his last name. Is it Mayweather? It's offensive line specialist. He's got his own camp. It's kind of like the tight end, tight end camp, and I'm blanking on his name. I'll look it up here in just a second. I was trying to do it real quickly. But they both talk about switching sides as a tackle and moving players along the offensive line is a good way to get yourself beat because it is hard. They say some guys can do it. There are guys that can do it, but in general, they are the exception, not the rule. So for me, the idea of moving guys around the offensive line to me could compromise the integrity of the line, even if it looks better on paper. Like best case scenario, you move Tooney to left tackle, Orlando Brown Jr., you you just say, hey, you're going to play right tackle for us this year because we're probably not going to bring you back. And play like Allegretti or Wiley at left guard. Like it sounds good in theory, but it's kind of like that pinch hitter in baseball who comes in and bats 310 in very specific situations and the entire fan base is saying you should play them more. And then you put that guy every day at second base and he bats 230. And I feel like that might be what happens with Joe Tooney. If you play him at left tackle consistently, because he's not a tackle, he's technically perfect uh, as an offensive lineman. But I, I Sam, you're going to have to, tell me one way or the other, but I can't imagine the guard, that kicking out from guard to tackle is as easy as maybe some Chiefs fans make it sound. There's just move Tooney out to left tackle, and I don't think that's 
fair or realistic. So for me, I'm going to be doing what the Chiefs tried to do uh, against the Bills, and that's going to be chip on on whichever side you think the biggest pass rusher is coming from. You're going to put try to push the other side in the wide arc to try and come around the outside, and, and Mahomes is going to have to be willing to step up in the pocket and not bail out. I think that's the best case scenario until you can get to the offseason and then address things from there because I don't want Chiefs fans to count on Lucas Niang coming back and being the answer. I don't think the moving players around the offensive line is realistic, and I don't think the Chiefs would do it anyway. So I think that at this point you're talking about leaving tight ends in, chipping guys on, on with running backs, and, and just doing your best to game plan around elite pass rushers when you come up against them. How much do we have to pay to bring Jason Dunn back? Well, he is one of the best at responding on Twitter, and uh, so it wouldn't be that hard to get a hold of him. He's he's pretty great talking to fans, so it uh, wouldn't take very long. But uh, No, so, yeah, it's, it really is the – in an ideal world, just uh, offensive line being interchangeable pieces would be great, but each position – Switching from left to right in itself is is a drastic change because you're kicking with a complete opposite foot. Everything changes on that end. And that's why it's so worrisome. Like you think about Orlando Brown, he was a right tackle. And they got a chance to play left tackle. He is, I think, probably a predominant right-handed player, which would give him – it's just the right side is going to be a lot easier, I think, for him than it ever would left. Like I think if he played right, we'd be looking at him a completely different way light that we do today i think tooney could move out to tackle i think he's such a skilled player it's not a, it's probably not the fit for him because he's too small uh you need the length to tackle but i think he is so technically sound that he would be i would prefer to if you were going to have to shift guys i would want to keep him on the left and move him to left tackle and then move orlando brown over to right because i think that would be a better mix than leaving Orlando Brown there, shifting Tooney over to the right, doing a lot of that movement. I'd rather just do one because that eliminates at least Tooney having to change. And, and I'm assuming he can probably do both regardless. But, no, it's not as easy a fix as just plug and play with offensive linemen as, as much as it would be nice. And that's why it is nice to have those swing guys that can do a little everything. That's why Wiley has such value is that even though he may not be – the end-all, be-all, it's the starting right tackle. The fact that he can play every position along the line, bar center, it is very useful. It's a, it's a great help for, for the team. So it, it's a it's a conundrum for sure. And, and I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's a, a magic formula anywhere that you can fix it except for maybe uh, somehow bring the Chiefs line back and just – play that swap out a couple pieces here and there you know who would you if, if you could if you could bring that line back and bring it in today and we still had our players who would you swap out i mean the easy one's rofe rofe obviously that's an easy call and then john tate at right tackle and i and then shields like i love trey smith but those three i'd have to go with and then i think it's a debate at left guard and i'd probably keep humphrey at center i play will shields at right tackle 
over John Tate. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I'm taking Will Shields, and I'm playing him at right tackle because I like to just put guards at tackle. <laughs> I'd just, I just play six offensive linemen the whole game. Dude, go max protect just go goal line set yeah. every time. That'd be yeah. great. Brian Waters, I mean, if you want to bring him along, he used to be a tight end. Hey. Let's do it. I'm in. Uh, also, I found the guy's name. Uh, it's Duke Mannyweather is his name. I was close. It's Mannyweather. He's, he's referred to as offensive line guru. He's actually hashtag off O-line masterminds on Twitter. Um, he's at Big Duke 50. Any offensive lineman that you talk to, uh, that you see on Twitter talks about him as being the guy uh, in terms of developing training and, and the knowledge of offensive linemen and offensive line play. I'm not a hundred percent familiar with his background, um, which I probably should be at this point, but I do know that he's the guy that every offensive lineman, whether it's the Schwartz brothers or, or uh, Andrew Whitworth on Twitter, any of the guys that, go there. I know Trey Smith was at his camp this past year. Willie Rofe actually spoke at his camp this past offseason. He's the guy that they go to to get the real help they need to be the best they can be. All right, let's move a couple steps backwards into the backfield and talk about the running back position. Because I think this is an interesting discussion in terms of player versus scheme. Because I think we've seen different running backs thrive in different, in the different schemes that the Chiefs have run. And those same running backs really struggle when asked to do other things. Prime example being Clyde Edwards-Alaire. When they run a lot of counter and power football through the middle of the offensive line or off tackle, it works really well when you can let him get north and south. Clyde Edwards-Alaire does a really good job of taking the ball and getting north and south. When you ask him to play those stretch zone plays and, and make a hard cut and explode through the offensive line as you're stretching towards the sideline, he struggles with that. That is not his forte. He would – you saw it a lot in this game. He would get tackled behind the line of scrimmage because he doesn't have the explosivity, doesn't have the speed – to, to hit that hole after, you know, stretching a play outside the, outside the hash marks, outside the numbers. You see uh, other players like Jarrett McKinnon or Isaiah Pacheco really thrive in those roles, but maybe don't do as well between the tackles. So what do we do? What, how would you handle running backs? Who gets the start for you going forward, knowing what the Chiefs like to do? Um, Jacob will let you bat lead off this time. I just can't defend Clyde Edwards-Hilaire anymore. He, he's had what, one game where he looked like he deserved to be the starting running back, and they let him play because of his draft position. That's the only explanation. But I would like McKinnon with Pacheco. I don't think – I don't even mention Ronald Jones because I don't think it's going to happen. But that's what, personally, I would like. Sam, what about you? Is there – Anyone on the depth chart that you would want to be the primary ball carrier for the Kansas City Chiefs? I think McKinnon. Uh, Jacob's right. I think Clyde's continually showed what he is, and it's not what we drafted him to be, unfortunately. McKinnon, though, yes, he's been injured. He he has 
he brings more, I feel like, to the offense. And, and you're still going to have the high rotation. I, I don't see that stopping. We know what – I mean, we've kind of started to see what Pacheco is. I think he has a lot of upside, but he's still learning. Uh, he is a guy that, hey, like we saw, you're pinned back in the end zone. You need to get a couple of yards, let this kid go, because he just runs like he's angry and he's going to get yards. But I don't think I trust him necessarily as much as I would McKinnon just because of his experience. So, again, where I feel the offensive line is hard to just pick and play players, put them where or it's hard to just put them wherever you want. I feel like our running back, you can get away with that a lot more. So I'm not – whoever starts, it doesn't really change my mind as far as how our running back position is perceived. But I think if you had to choose, I would probably pick McKinnon. I definitely think McKinnon is the best – is probably the safest play, I'll say it that way, given what the Chiefs like to do. Because it just it, – as frustrating as it is, it doesn't seem like they're going to play power football with the running game. Andy Reid loves his his stretch plays, his zone zone read plays, the uh, pass read options that he loves to run. That's that's all stuff that requires somebody who can hit the hole hard and explode and have that extra burst. And that's not Clyde's game, which is not it's not a diss to Clyde. He's a good football player. He just needs to play in a power football, uh, a power football scheme, and the Chiefs don't do that. If I had my druthers, I would start Pacheco just because I think the floor is probably is lower, obviously, than what Jarek offers. But I think the upside is more there, too, because I don't think you've tapped into everything that Pacheco can be so far. And I would rather he take his lumps now, kind of the way they're doing with the rookie corners, more out of necessity than, than anything. But they're taking their lumps with Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams. And I think that will serve them better as we go through the rest of this season because those corners have that experience now. I feel that same way about Pacheco. I wish you would give him the reps, give him this, the time and seasoning to get familiar with this line, get familiar with NFL play speed, and develop as a running back. I don't think they'll do that. So if it has to be one of the other two, I would take McKinnon just because of the scheme and, and the upside that McKinnon offers in a, a stretch, a stretch zone kind of zone stretch, excuse me, kind of running style, the way that Andy Reid likes to run when they, they actually run the ball. And I think in pass protection, McKinnon's probably the best of the three. Our right, last question on the offensive side of the football, and then we'll go over to the defensive side. It was kind of a weird day for the wide receivers, especially the newcomers for the Kansas City Chiefs. Juju Smith-Schuster has a, a 2018 kind of Juju Smith-Schuster game. He goes five catches on, on five targets, doesn't drop anything, doesn't miss a target, 113 yards receiving with the touchdown on his big 42-yard catch and run where he's able to take the hit, bounce off tacklers, and then let them run into each other trying to get back a hold of him, and he scampers into the end zone for six. On the flip side of that, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has three targets and no catches. One, the one catch he had would have been a touchdown uh, if not for the illegal man downfield. I think it was on Tooney at that point in the game. It was the play right before Mahomes throws his interception. And 
that negates his catch, his touchdown, and he doesn't get another touchdown, another catch, I should say, for the rest of the game. Does this game make us feel better or worse after how these wide receivers performed? And we can expand it beyond these two. You know, McCole Hardman had a pretty good game, three catches on four four targets with 42 yards and a touchdown. You know, Sky Moore gets those three targets, but only the one catch. It's it's kind of a mixed bag. So how are we feeling at this point about this wide receiver core, better or worse? Sam, we'll start with you. About the same. It's it just, you saw, we're still, I mean, as Chiefs fans, we're still searching for, oh, we need Tyreek. You're never going to get Tyreek back. You're never going to, you're likely never see a player like Tyreek. But you've got guys that can fill the roles, and, and you're never going to see, like, that's the thing is, it's not going to be one guy anymore. It's not going to be like Tyreek. MVS isn't going to get a catch every game. He's, these guys are more – I think Juju's your obvious, like, more complete receiver where the rest of them are, at this point, more gadget-type players um, or fit a specific niche. And, and sometimes those niches just don't get get the targets that, that we want them to. Uh, uh, McCole, yeah, McCole had a good game. Um, he, he still kind of has that – I think they pointed out on the broadcast where he does things so well sometimes. And then that one route where if he just would have broke it flat instead of continuing upfield, easy first down. And it's just little stuff that you like, Oh, come on, man, just develop to the point we want you to develop. And it just doesn't seem to happen. So like he, again, kind of where he, he's like, we know what he is at this point. And then sky Moore just kind of still sky Moore. We'll, we'll see what, what ends up coming up of him. Um, again, we know how, Little Andy Reid likes to utilize rookie offensive weapons early on, but I, I don't. I I didn't come away from the game feeling bad that like MBS didn't get a catch because we got to see Juju get it involved. So it's just it's just the realization that you know it is a very different wide receiver core than what we're used to, and that it was one guy gets all the targets, and then you have auxiliary pieces here and there that will maybe get one every every game. Now it's like okay, whoever's open is getting the ball now. It's not. We're trying to go to Tyreek. Jacob, what about you? How, how are you feeling about the wide receiver core? Better or worse after Sunday's performance? I'm going to say I feel about the same. I I don't think there's any high-end elite receiver there. There's no true wide receiver one. I think you have a collection of guys that can play up to being wide receiver two, but guys whose floor is wide receiver three-ish is what I'll say, You know, just depending on the guy you choose. I do feel like Sky Moore is getting a lot more part of the offense, which is the most encouraging thing to me. And I think he still looks like what we think he can be is just the underneath killer of guys. And I hope, and I, I don't know that's going to come true, I hope they keep realizing the routes they're sending Juju on now are more his style, including like Sean and I were excited about on Twitter, a slant happened. It was very odd. I'll be honest, I actually feel better after that performance. I really do. I think it helps because because to this point, we hadn't really seen an explosive game from, from any of the wide receivers. We saw Marquez Valdez-Scantling have a pretty solid game a week ago before the Buffalo game against the Raiders, but nothing quite like what we saw Juju have, where it's five catches, 100-plus yards, and a touch. And, and be able to make a big play 
down the field, again, with the yak yards, which is kind of what you hoped Juju was going to be able to bring because that's kind of what he's advertised as. He's not a burner, but a guy who will get you yards after the catch. And we hadn't really gotten to see that with what's going on with Ben Roethlisberger and then him being hurt. So you hoped he still had that. So it was good to see that and know that that is available. So if he's able to do that going forward, not obviously not 100 yards and a touchdown every time. If he could get you know four to five catches, 70 yards, um, and a touchdown every now and again, I think that's more than more than enough. If you add in a Valdez Scantling kind of game like he had against the Raiders, or even a game like McCole Hardman had against the Bills, if you're able to continue to supplement that that kind of wide receiver two-esque game, and you have the upside of having a wide receiver one game the way Juju had, I think you're in a really good spot going forward, especially if they continue to involve Sky more, uh, more within the offense. Travis Kelsey is showing no signs of slowing down, knock on wood. Everything's been been kind of flirting with the idea that these wide receivers can be big contributors. And I think we finally saw one of them step up and do that with Juju. And so I'm hopeful that kind of what Juju said in his press conference, where he said, this is just the beginning and the chemistry is still building with him and Mahomes, that this is the the start of something that could be consistent and, and uh, a big contribution from the wide receiver core going forward. Let's flip sides of the coin to the defense and where I think most of the positives reside are on the defensive side of the ball. They hold the Buffalo Bills to 24 points, 17 points before that last drive where Josh Allen did Josh Allen things and looked every bit of a top-tier quarterback in the NFL that people refer to him as. He's he and Mahomes are clearly in their own tier, and it's everybody else after that in whatever order you want. And the defense, I thought, showed out. Again, minus three starters with, with Willie Gay Jr., uh, with uh, Trent McDuffie being out, um, Brian, Cook's being, Brian Cook being out, Tershawn Wharton being done for the year, not a starter, but a big rotational piece in the middle of the line who was having a good year. And then being out with Rashad Fenton, who was going to start in this game in absence of Trent McDuffie. And so you're forced to play both Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams, two rookie corners. Uh, and, and, and they held them to 24, the best offense in the NFL, the number one ranked offense in the NFL. You held to 24 points. I think a lot of that had to do with, with the play on the field, but I also want to give a lot of credit to Steve Spagnuolo, who I thought had a really good game plan for the most part with a couple of exceptions. So I want to get your guys' thoughts here. Um, Sam, we'll start with you. What did you make of Spagnuolo's game plan and the defensive performance against the Bills? Yeah, you did pretty much everything you could do against this against this offense with missing the pieces we were missing. Josh Allen is such a unique quarterback, I feel like, because when I think of Josh Allen, when I think of why he's so hard to sack, the immediate thing you think of is his size. The guy's just a freak of nature as far as how big he is playing quarterback and just how strong. But then when you really watch him, the guy, as I mentioned earlier, the guy has incredible feel for pressure. He he gets the ball out sec, 
milliseconds before he gets any kind of pressure or contact made by any a rush guy that's rushing free or has has a potential to get him. And even if they do get to him again, he is big enough that it's it's hard to dissuade him from being able to do what he wants. Uh, so again, I, I, as far as what we saw blitz package wise, you're missing. I mean, the problem with with the cornerbacks is having to start the rookie cornerbacks, not being able to have that experience is it takes your ability to bring Snead off the edge a lot more than we probably would have liked, because I think that's the kind of secret weapon that Spags has is what Snead has the ability to do as a rusher, as a pass rusher, not just as a cornerback. So I, I, I mean, I don't think you have anything you can even get close to complaining about. Uh, we've seen what, Obviously, we know what Stephon Diggs is, and, and we saw firsthand how good Gabriel Davis can be uh, and what he continues to develop into. So the, you you can't really get upset about anything we really saw. I mean, they pretty much – I would say – what was what did Singletary end up having at the end of the night? I didn't even go back to look because it didn't seem like their running, their, their running attack had much effect on the Eight. game whatsoever. 85 yards on 17 carries, which is five yards a carry. So not okay, ideal. Right. Pretty pretty decent. But it, it didn't seem like it was – like that's not what blew me away as far as what their offense was doing. It was big plays. It was rookies getting beat a lot of times. So, again, not I don't think you have really anything to be upset about the way the defense performed considering what we were going into the game with. Jacob, what about you? What did made you, what did you make of Spagnolo's game plan and how the defense performed against the Bills? It was really good outside of you know isolating a rookie corner, but what was your other option to blitz really is he was in a tough place and he made the best of it. So I think he did pretty well. Bills started to catch on as well, so that didn't help. And I, you know, do want to try to toot. I wanted to try to toot my own horn and say that Gabe Davis was the one we should have been more worried about. But I'm just now realizing Stefan Diggs had 148 yards. When did that even happen? I can only remember his one touchdown. But anyway, uh, yeah, I thought Spags was had a solid day. The only criticism I have of Spags in this game is I wish he had kept blitzing. I know that. The instinct is, especially when they had him like at their own goal line when the when the Bills were backed up and we thought that Bolton almost had Allen for the sack. It's third and 13. I know the instinct is to back off of zone, but it seemed like every time that happened, that was when you gave up chunk plays. When they blitzed, they had Josh Allen rushing. And I think you saw the result of that on one of the plays where, where he throws the ball over to the middle to Isaiah McKenzie, and he, Josh Allen makes his definitively worst throw of the game and throws it way behind McKenzie at the point where he has no chance to make the grab. He's, he was just sped up. I think you saw the most success when the Chiefs blitzed. I think the problem is, is that you also saw the Chiefs get burned twice by, by when they blitzed uh, on third down with Joshua Williams, which to your guys' points, I thought Josh Williams actually had pretty good coverage and got better as the game went on. Josh Josh Allen just 
made some great throws, and Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs are pretty damn good. So the only thing I might have changed there is, like, on third down in those situations, maybe do a zone blitz. Just don't leave your guys on an island. I guess that would probably be the one thing I might have changed in retrospect, again, with hindsight as opposed to, you know, a game plan going in. But even with those, I wish that they had kept blitzing because I think that's when they had the most success because the Chiefs right now are really struggling to get a pass rush with just four outside of Chris Jones. Which does bring us to our second topic on the defensive side of the ball. And that is, how concerned are you with the pass rush when the Chiefs only bring four? Because that was an incredibly stark difference when you watched this game. When the Chiefs blitzed, they got significant pressure. When they didn't, Josh Allen had a lot, a lot of time. And that is concerning. We know that George Karloftis has a lot of upside. He's shown flashes. He's still a rookie, and I don't think it's fair to put all the expectations on him. Frank Clark, we kind of know what to expect at this point. Carlos Dunlap has some has had some nice moments, but he's a rotational player at this point in his career. Chris Jones is having an out-of-his-mind season, and it's almost out of necessity because that front four hasn't gotten pressure. So how concerned are you guys with the pass rush when they don't blitz? Sam, we'll start with you. Again, I think this will be the the topic we beat, we beat to death throughout this year unless we were able to go out and get somebody to, to a pure pass rusher because, again, you, you – I honestly thought Frank Clark looked good in this game. I think against other quarterbacks, he probably would have had at least one, if not two sacks potentially where Josh Allen just is able to get, like I said, just feels pressure so well, especially since Frank was coming off the right-hand side or Josh's right-hand side so he could see him the whole time. But it's just not what our defense is. I think we have to come, unfortunately, got to come to that realization that if we want pressure and, and it sucks, but if we want pressure, we're probably going to have to blitz. And the good thing is that's Spag's kind of cup of tea. That's what he does is he, he knows how to drop blitz packages and we have guys that are very good at it. So I think we'll see again, Karloftis, as we kind of talked about, I think after the very first game, if he can figure out any move, anything, he will become a, exponentially better player. He just doesn't have a move right now. Maybe they need to go and get Tomba to come back and be like, hey, Tomba, teach him something. Show him something. Just so he does anything but just run forward because right now that's his ability is just going forward and pushing guys around. But That was my question, Sam, was you're, you're not considering run forward a pass rush move? I mean, it, it, it can be effective at times. Like if he was going against Andrew Wiley – that might be pretty effective, <laughs> but he's not. And so uh, it's it's not effective as, as much as we would like. So, yeah, I think you have to kind of come to the realization that the defensive line is kind of what it is. I don't think we're going to see drastic improvement. Yes, Frank or Chris Jones is Chris Jones, and he is. Orlando Brown is not earning himself a contract. Chris Jones has earned himself that man some money, even at – later career stage of career he's 
he's showing that, yeah, I can still do whatever I want when I want and just don't get calls. So, Jacob, what about you? How are we feeling about the pass rush when it's just four? Well, let me ask you a scary question then because it keeps coming up all season. The Chris Jones, that was just a dog hitting her dog cone. It's been a week. Scratching her dog cone. You know, would you trade Chris Jones if he's going to bring back a mountain of picks? I don't know my answer. That's why I asked because I'm scared to death to be like, well, what are they without him? But what would they be with more guys but more unknowns? This is the ultimate dynasty fantasy football question because if it was the offseason, I'd be like, absolutely. Because in the offseason, all you're worried about is building. You're talking about diversifying assets. You're trying to get younger and all that stuff. That's what you do in the offseason. You know, a good example is a guy like Nick Chubb. In the offseason, everybody can't get him off their team fast enough. Oh, he's a, he's a 26, almost 27-year-old running back. He doesn't catch passes. Let's trade him. In season when he is just balling out everyone he's like you can't take him off my team not even for three first round picks i think that's how people how i would view chris jones like if it was the offseason and you asked me that question i'd be like yeah if you can get a tyree call for chris jones you do that in a new york minute and it's probably still the right answer in season but man i watching how he played has played so far I don't know if I could do it. He's been elite. I do mean the offseason. I don't mean during the season. I'm new to the whole dynasty thing, Sean. I'm doing things backwards because I traded <laughs> Sam. I traded Sam Howell for Aaron Donald this week, so <laughs> I think I won that one, and I got way old. <laughs> but uh, no, it is a tough question because he shapes so much of your defense. It, it almost comes to it, it gets to a point where it's almost damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation because it's like you could make so much, but at the same time, your defense suffers so badly. So I guess it depends on what's coming out in the draft and how how you feel about those players. Like if Jordan Davis was coming in and you could have gotten him, maybe he could replace some of Chris Jones' production, but who knows? Yeah, I'm nervous about this front four, man. Like, Frank Clark had one good move, and he didn't get home. Chris Jones is – he's he's playing like the best defensive tackle in the NFL this year. He's, he's playing even better than he's already been, which is, a, I hope, a huge compliment to him. But, man, like – and I like Karloftis. I think he's shown much more than I anticipated. But there, this was the kind of game that made, made me worried about him as a draft pick is that he's a try-hard guy. He's a high-motor, high-effort guy that doesn't have – is kind of raw and still developing and not someone that you can rely on to be your Justin Houston, your – Derek Thomas, your Vaughn Miller, he, he's not that guy. Without having that guy, I think you're going to have to keep blitzing. And I, I think that should be – and thank God it's Spags because Spagnola has done a, is a great designer of blitz packages, but I think it, you will be expecting an awful lot of your secondary going forward. 
Yeah, and I think I think it would be a miss to say. I mean, I know he's not the All Star, but again, we also have to think about the fact that we lost Tershawn Wharton for the season, so that's one less piece that you have to rotate in with that. And he's more, again, more of your pass rush specialist defensive tackle, so it's one less piece you have to play with. I guess my biggest question is. Who on the Carolina Panthers do we need to convince to get in an argument with their interim head coach so we can trade a six-round pick for him? Because that apparently is the fire sale that's going on with the Carolina Panthers right now. It's it's Brian Burns or bust, man. Like that's the dude. That's the guy. Like at this point, I'm like, I know I said like um, I think it was two or three podcasts ago. I said I I don't know if I give up a first, but I probably do two seconds. I'm I'd be running to the the Panthers facility with my first round pick being like, Hey, Hey, take this, take this from me. I want Brian. I mean, I think you could probably do it for like a fifth and a sixth. I mean, we'll see what, we'll see what McCaffrey ends up getting traded for. Cause if he gets traded for anything less than a second or anything, yeah. If he doesn't get a first, if he gets like anything less than a first, let's go at him with like, Here's a used bag of footballs. We will now take Brian Burns from you. Thank you. Last question on the defense, and then we'll get to our preview of the 49ers going forward. How are you more or less concerned after watching the rookies? Uh, I've mentioned Joshua Williams and uh, Jalen Watson. Another player, not necessarily a a rookie, but Deion Bush uh, was forced into action because Brian Cook was not able to play in this game. How are we feeling about the rookies and just the youth in general of this secondary after Sunday? Are we more or less concerned? Are we feeling good? How do we feel about them after having seen them against the best offense in the NFL? Um, Jacob, we'll let you bat lead off this time. I really was encouraged by both guys because they were sticking with their guys most of the time. And it it seemed to me, and again, this could just be me being lack of knowledge, but it seemed to me like it was almost like a ball skills thing that I hope that can be taught. I feel like I bring the guy up once a week, but Traverius Ward is who I feel like is a great example of a guy that just looked awful when they first started playing him, but he's always right on the guy. Then eventually he figured out how to at least turn his head around and not locate the ball because the man was blind, but at least knock it down. Dan, what about you? How are we feeling better or worse about the secondary after this one, knowing that they might be called upon with Spags having to blitz more and more? Yeah, I don't think you can feel bad about the performance. You it, you won't talk about a trial by fire. That That is what just occurred on Sunday. It was a trial by fire for these quarterbacks. You've got one of the best quarterbacks in the game two of the better wide receivers in the game, probably I would say both top 15 pretty easily. And you're expected to go one-on-one with them. You, like Jacob said, you do pretty well. Like you, you, you give up some plays that I don't even know if some of those plays, I don't even know if a, a veteran or quarterback would have made much of a better play on most, some of them. They were just good plays. Like it happened. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm, again, optimistic of of the youth that they were able to bring in this last year with um, specifically two quarterbacks, uh, Deion Bush, and then um, I think Brian Cook has – we've seen him play quite a bit. I don't think – I didn't notice him a whole lot this game, 
But I feel like the past several weeks, we've seen him quite a bit. And I think he brings a different dimension to the safety position of just his size that, that I think is a very positive. So I, I'm, I'm fully optimistic with what their ability is. And, you know, sometimes you just have to roll with what you got. And fortunately what we got is even though they're rookies, they're playing pretty damn well. I do want to also chime back in with something Sam just said, but Sean had said earlier, and I agree that I think one of the weaknesses of Steve Spagnola in our Chiefs lifetime is that he just doesn't play rookies and it seems to come back to bite them or just play young guys. And I think being forced to play the young guys has been necessarily a growing moment for him, but a nice forced thing that, like Sean said, you know, down the road, these are guys that we're already going to have to play. So let's get them now. That way when we get to the playoffs, they're not just – stars in their eyes like oh my gosh i'm covering stefan diggs i'm having heck of a time trying to do that i feel much better having gotten to see jalen watson for a while now but also joshua williams because that was the guy i thought was going to get more time before jalen watson kind of stole the show joshua williams had some really good coverage i'm not really good had some solid coverage on diggs and gabe davis on both of the touchdown catches it wasn't like he got scorched and just got beat by five yards. He was in their hip pocket. It, it's just the best offense in the league, and that happens. I think if I'm being optimistic, when Trent McDuffie gets back, which I'm expecting and hoping that he is activated uh, this, this week from IR and given the chance to play, I have to believe that he will still be, maybe not right away, but eventually will still be the guy that we saw in preseason and in the first part of the Cardinals game. With all of that and knowing and seeing how well Justin Reed has played, um, knowing that Brian Cook has been able to to kind of fill in that mid, that box safety role, I, I think fairly well for a rookie. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what this secondary can do by the end of the year. I think the most positive thing you can say just to wrap it all up is they didn't look lost. They may have got beat, but they didn't look lost. So I love that. That's that's an excellent point. Let's wrap things up for tonight with a look ahead to Sunday versus the 49ers. Chiefs uh, will get a chance to get back on the winning track against an old adversary from the Super Bowl. Uh, that one kicks off, I think it's another three, yes, another 325 kickoff. A very different kind of looking team than what they just experienced, a team that's going to want to run the ball as much as possible to keep the pressure off of Jimmy Garoppolo. They do have some really nice weapons with George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and obviously Debo Samuel in the receiving game. So let's Sam, you had kind of said this last week and it spurred me to maybe get back to our roots and how we approach our previews. And you talked about how like we don't really dive in a whole lot. Well, I want to dive in a little bit. Let's talk about our keys on offense. And we'll let you bat lead off this time. What do you think the Chiefs have to do offensively to get the dub against the 49ers? Honestly, I think play a very similar game to what we saw them do against the Bills. Um, I think again, the strength of the 49ers is their defense. Their offense is behind uh, now Jimmy G, I guess, because I, I think he's – yeah, Jimmy G's still the starter. 
it has been less than uh, awe-inspiring, we should say, even though they do have several very good pieces. It just hasn't clicked yet this year. So I think if you can go into this game and, and look at it very similarly to the way that, that we attacked the Bills, which is, again, utilize all of your weapons. Don't let Pat do kind of what we've seen him continue to do this throughout this year, which is which is stop focus on one, focusing on one guy. Yes, Travis Kelsey caught four touchdowns in a game, but he had 25 yards. So he obviously was not the bell cow as far as getting the ball down the field. So I think the, the, the biggest key is probably going to be, and you have to excuse me, I've watched 49ers, is the Bosa brother healthy? Because that's, I mean, you never know at this point with the Bosa's. Like, can they play or not? I'm pretty sure he's good. Let me check. I think it's the uh, it's the one on the Chargers that's hurt. Yeah, no, Joey's Joey's hurt. Nick Bosa. This is from Niners Wire. This was published on October 16th. The 49ers headed to their toughest matchup of the year. Just, uh, facing a mountain of adversity on the injury front. Uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan on Sunday intimated the team could get defensive and Nick Bosa and left tackle Trent Williams back as early as next week. Bosa injured his groin during the team's week five win over the Panthers. Uh, he missed two days of practice and lead up to week six. So it's looking like they could end up playing on Sunday, both Trent Williams and Nick Bosa. Yeah. So, I mean, we so, yes what, and crap. Yes and maybe at this point. <laughs> Who knows? So, yeah, I think the, the key is you, you're going to have to game plan around your, your pass rushers. You're going to have to game plan around knowing that, you know, our tackles aren't what we saw, what our tackles can do and can't do, and we need to play around that. So I I, I would just go into it very similarly to what we how we attack the Bills' defense, to be completely honest. Jake, what about you? What do you think the offense needs to do to be successful against the 49ers? Oh, Trent Williams, what could have been. Honestly, score 20 points and you're fine. I think that's... You're going to leave it at score. And that was it. <laughs> score once and you're fine. No, score... score. Score 20 points and I think it's fine. I think this is a good game to... I don't know that they work out their offensive issues this week, but I think they score enough for it to not matter because I still don't believe in Jimmy G. Yeah, I think if you play a turnover-free game, you probably win offense. And, and that's nothing against the 49ers other than that they did lose 28-14 to 14 against the Falcons. I think this is a game the Chiefs offense should thrive in. We'll see how healthy Nick Bosa is if he actually does come back for week seven, because I think that can always put a wrench in things with how incredible he is as a player. But as long as you don't turn the ball over, I think we've seen enough from the offense at this point and think that they can be efficient and effective enough to really put it on a team like the 49ers. Before the Bills game, the Chiefs were averaging 30 points a game. They weren't hurting offensively. So uh, to me, it's just, don't turn the ball over, finish drives with touchdowns, and you'll be fine. Flipping that coin and going to the defensive side of the football, 
What do you guys think the Chiefs need to do? I'm going to take this one first. I need Derek Nottie to show up. I, I think that we saw some of the limitations of the linebacking core this week, mainly because the defensive tackles, and I don't think it was Chris Jones' best day against the run because I think he was maybe a little amped up to get to the backfield and get to Josh Allen at times, and so he kind of left some space for the run game. And Derek Naughty, I don't think, has been as good as he's been in past years against the run, which is kind of what he's there for. And so what you've seen against the Raiders and now the Bills is that guards are getting to the second level, and we're seeing the limitations of Nick Bolton, where Nick Bolton is a tremendous downhill player, but he's not going to be shedding blocks. Willie Gay, I think, is more adept at shedding blocks than Nick Bolton is. You have to allow Nick Bolton to run free for him to really be effective, to be that elite downhill player that we've seen him be, uh, that we've seen him be capable of being, the minute he gets a guard locked up on him, that's it. And so I need Derek Naughty to show up. I need Chris Jones to to keep doing Chris Jones things and and really be stout against the run. Uh, I think as long as those things happen, I've I've still liked what I've seen from Colin Saunders. I think he's having a, a terrific year for for what I expected from him this year, which was not a lot. So I think if Derek, I just need Derek Nye to show up. Um, Jacob, what about you? What do you think the defense needs to do to be successful? I need Willie Gay to have a uh, Bobby Boucher bourbon bowl performance. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Stopping the runs, everything this week. Cause then Jimmy G literally just has to drop back and pass, which is not going to be good for him. Sam, what about you? Defensive side of the ball, what do you think the Chiefs need to do to, to get that win? You said Bob Boucher, Bourbon Bowl. I was saying Undertaker rising up from the mat. Day. <laughs> like just the, the sit-up and it's time. I, I don't have a lot to add. I mean, you have to always be worried about Debo. Debo is an explosive weapon, but they got to give him the ball. And I think their most likely way of doing that will be intermediate handoffs and short uh, like bubble screens and stuff like that. Cause I don't think they're going to be airing the ball out a whole lot with Jimmy G Again, knock on wood. We talked crap about the Colts and saw where that got us. So <laughs> I don't want to go too far with it, but yeah, it's, I think run first and then let hopefully let Chris Jones eat and be the defense that we have seen it starting to become. Last thing for tonight, let's get final and bold, final score and bold predictions here. Just to recap, uh, Jacob, you said that uh, the Bills would win 38-34, so you had the four-point difference correct. Uh, Allen would throw an interception in the first two possessions. Uh, that did not happen. Uh, wait, did it happen? No, they turned the ball over a different way, didn't they? Um, he threw a fumble interception. Let's count it. Yeah, I, 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 that's close. It's close to me. Uh, uh, Sam, you had the Chiefs winning 31-28, but it was a, a shaky 31-28. You were, you were not convinced of that score. Introduce positivity to the universe, and it didn't work. <laughs> and Nick Bolton was going to have two sacks. He almost did that one uh, at the and, and almost put Josh Allen in a safety. Uh, at the end. So you were, it was close, but no cigar. I had 31, 27 bills. So I, I was closest on the score, which is a rarity for me. 
And I thought that Leo Chanel would force a fumble on Josh Allen, which did not happen. Leo Chanel, I, I saw on the field a handful of times. Uh, I was going to say the same thing, Sean. I saw Leo Chanel that was get it. on the field. Yeah, I need to quit picking Leo Chanel to do things. That's not fair to him. It's a fourth-round line, third-round linebacker, fourth-round linebacker, one of those two, mid-round linebacker. Either way, I think, Sean, what you're saying is Brett Veach just needs to trade all of his third- and fourth-round picks. I'm not going to bail on Chanel yet. It's early. It's early. It was the Bills. So what are we feeling this time, guys? Jacob, we'll let you bat lead off uh, for a final score in your bold prediction. What have you got against the 49ers? Let's go with 24-13 Chiefs. So more of a traditional score this week. And we'll go with George Karloftis is going to have an actual pass rush move and record two sacks. We're getting real bold. The more bold is the first part of it. <laughs> Especially if Trent Williams comes back and he's able to do that. That would be impressive. Uh, Sam, what about you? Final score and bold predictions. What have you got? Oh, let's go <clears throat> bigger score this week. 31-17, Chiefs. I think we I think we come out and put it on them. Say bold prediction. Got defense a lot. No, I'll give him some love. But Cole Hardman, let's go 75 yards and a touchdown. Woo! Did hell freeze over? Yeah, I'll give it to him. Like, this is... I'm actually excited. I hope McCole goes sickness, off. You know, got to look it I agree. I think the Chiefs put it on the 49ers. I don't think they're a very good football team right now, even though I think they have some exceptional pieces. Uh, it just seems like they haven't been able to get things rolling since the, the Trey Lance injury. Uh, losing to the Falcons does not inspire confidence, even though the Falcons they had things rolling when Trey Lance team. was in there. Huh? They had things rolling when Trey Lance was in there. Fair, 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 fair. I am also of the mindset that it's going to be a a bigger score. I also had 31 uh, for the Chiefs, but I actually don't think the 49ers uh, even get to 17. I'm going to say 31-14, Chiefs get the W. And I'm going to say that uh, three wide receivers – are above 50 yards uh, or above I'm going to make that a bit bigger. I'm going to say 55 yards receiving. Three wide receivers record 55 yards receiving or more uh, this coming week against the 49ers which has not been done as of yet to my knowledge uh, without actually having looked at every box score before saying that. That will do it for us tonight. We appreciate you guys joining us each and every week even when it's not a a victory discussion it's always a fun discussion and we appreciate you guys being a part of it hopefully this coming uh this coming sunday will provide us with a victory to talk about until next time you all stay safe out there and we will talk to you next week